One major goal of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is to help prepare the public for emerging health threats. What is the status of public health emergency preparedness at the federal, state, and local levels? What progress has been made in preparing our country for natural, biological, chemical, and other hazards? And where is there room for improvement? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focused on disaster medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Richard Besser, pediatrician and director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Coordinating Office for Terrorism, Preparedness, and Emergency Response. Welcome, Dr. Besser. Thanks very much. Uh, Glad to be here. As director of this unit, you're responsible for all of CDC's public health emergency preparedness and emergency response activities. Can you tell us a little bit about what CDC's overarching goal is when it comes to public health preparedness? CDC has extensive roles when it comes to public health emergency preparedness. Most of our work goes in support of those who are, who are on the front line, who will be responding directly to public health threats. And that's our state and local public health partners. We provide resources, we provide technical assistance, we provide support to help state and local public health respond to any type of, of public health emergency they may face. And what kind of hazards are you talking about that may threaten the health of the public? Well, when, when you think about public health emergencies or public health catastrophes, they fall into a number of broad categories. We have uh, things like emerging infectious diseases. The SARS epidemic that we dealt with a number of years ago is one example of that. West Nile virus, when that was introduced to New York City, uh, was a public health emergency. It was an infection that we thought was limited to another part of the world that quickly set up shop and spread across the United States. All of our public health and clinical community are in the process of preparing for the next pandemic of influenza. That's a public health emergency. These type of infectious diseases, whether they be recurrent like a pandemic or new and emerging, will challenge our clinical and public health communities. Beyond the infectious disease arena, there are a number of other areas that can provide threats. We learned in 2001 that we have to be prepared for deliberate attacks, the World Trade Center event, the anthrax uh, letter event. These pointed out to our country that there are people who are looking or would be looking to do harm, and we have to be ready for those events. And so this has led to a major mind shift in the public health community so that we are preparing for deliberate events. Beyond these two areas, we're currently faced with the threats of natural disasters. Hurricane Katrina represented the largest domestic response to a natural disaster in our history. More than 700 people from CDC helped support the activities that were going on in the Gulf in response to Hurricane Katrina, and there were thousands of people responding around the country. This uh, represented, I think, a real tragedy for our country when we saw images of our fellow citizens um, not getting the support that they really needed in a time of crisis. Right now, we're in the midst of responding to hurricanes. This is a very severe hurricane season. We've been responding to Hurricane Gustav, Hurricane Hannah, Hurricane Ike. And these are events that provide challenges to our public health and our clinical communities. Now, getting back to more of a, a general overview, you've been quoted as saying that preparedness is a continuum rather than a state of being. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, you, you know, you can think about all of these complex systems. You have the clinical community. You have the healthcare delivery that they provide. You have the various things that are provided by the public health system, ensuring safe food and water, ensuring that people who have communicable diseases like tuberculosis 
are in treatment and are being monitored, prevention of things like sexually transmitted diseases, ensuring that people have medications when they need them. These are all handled through rather complex systems. And, and rather than saying that a system is totally prepared, you look at these systems and how they interrelate, and you look at, at preparedness as a continuum. You can always come up with a scenario that will break a system. But what you would like to see is over time, these systems are working better, uh, they're working more effectively, they're working more cohesively, so that the type of events that will break the system need to be much, much larger and much uh, more severe. Now, your office recently released its inaugural report on public health emergency preparedness. What was the main goal of this report? In February of 2008, we released our first report on the state of preparedness in our country. And what this was was an attempt to look at what has been accomplished across the country with the billions of dollars that have gone to state and local public health. One of the ways in which CDC supports state and local public health is through the Public Health Emergency Preparedness Cooperative Agreement. This is money that goes to each state for distribution to their local health departments and for use at the state health department to prepare for the type of emergencies that we've been, we've been talking about. What we wanted to do with this report was show what has been accomplished with these uh, resources, where the gaps currently are, and how those need to be addressed. It's an attempt to uh, ensure accountability. It's important that people see these systems even before there's an emergency. Like an immunization system, it's very hard to see it except when it is in failure. This report was an attempt to show what's been accomplished before we see a system fail. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Disaster Medicine, on ReachMD XM 157. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Richard Besser, Director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Coordinating Office for Terrorism Preparedness and Emergency Response. We're discussing public health emergency preparedness in the United States. In 2002, Congress authorized funding for the Public Health Emergency Preparedness Cooperative Agreement. Now, what does this mean, the cooperative agreement? There are different ways in which the federal government gives funds to states or to to universities or or other groups. One is a grant in which the government gives the money. There's an application. A group says what they're going to do. Money is given, and basically the governmental oversight is to make sure the money was well spent. A cooperative agreement is different in that there is an expectation of substantive input into the work that's done by the federal government so that we work directly with states to help ensure that we're in agreement on the work plan and what activities will be undertaken. We have a responsibility in terms of of fiscal oversight. That's no different. But we also have a responsibility in terms of providing technical support to the states and locals who are trying to undertake these activities. Can you give an example where states and local departments work together very well and collaborated for a quick and effective response? In terms of response to a, a public health event? Correct, to some type of emergency. There are a number of examples of of where public health response has worked effectively in terms of federal, state, and local coordination. One example would be a recent event that took place in Minnesota, where there was a, a collapse of one of the bridges in that state. There, what we found was that state public health staff, hospitals, and emergency medical services worked very closely together to ensure that the emergency services were provided to the population who, who needed them. One of the things that we're trying to promote with the funds that come through this cooperative agreement is connectivity between the various sectors that are involved in emergency response. I think that before there was this increase of an investment in preparedness and response, 
Public health was not often at the table with other first responder groups, such as emergency medical services, police, fire, the groups that the public thinks of in their mind as first responders. Public health now has relationships in all of our states, in most of our communities, so that they're involved in the planning and then in the responding to an event. Last year, there was a situation in Pennsylvania where an individual who was here as a part of a dance troupe became sick and ill and was diagnosed with anthrax. The big question at the time was, did this represent a a case of naturally occurring uh, anthrax, or could this be the sentinel event for an anthrax attack? There was incredible collaboration between the local and state health departments in Pennsylvania, law enforcement, including the FBI, federal public health in terms of working to ensure that the diagnosis was correct, and then across state lines between Pennsylvania and the health department in New York City where the dancer lived to do an investigation at his home. What was found was that this individual had a workshop in which he he made uh, drums, and these drums were made from skins that came in from Africa. And one of the skins that came in had the spores of bacillus anthracis that caused his illness. I think that, that the type of collaboration, the coordination between these various sectors of public health, emergency medical services, and law enforcement is something that 10 years ago we couldn't have even imagined. Now, some states and regions seem to be at higher risk for for disasters, especially natural ones. Hurricanes in the Gulf region, for example, earthquakes in California. Um, You mentioned New York City, but they were also at risk during the, the terrorist attack. Do you find that there has been more progress made in these places who, who tend to have more need for emergency preparedness and response? One of the things that worries me most right now is a feeling of complacency. It has been a number of years since we've had a major public health emergency in this country. Uh, Katrina is the last one that was really on a national scale. And what I see happening over time is a sense of complacency at all levels, that emergency preparedness is something we don't need to think about so much. Different communities face different risks. When we are out in the Midwest, one of the things that people are most worried about are, are weather events, wind and water, the threat of, of flooding, the threat of tornadoes, hurricanes. When you're in New York City, the threat of terrorism is clearly something on people's minds. But it's important to realize that public health threats can occur anywhere and that the need to be prepared is not limited to just the major population centers. When you think about terrorism, it's very hard to predict where that could occur. Clearly, areas like Washington and New York, because of what they symbolize, are at an increased risk. But that doesn't mean that other communities can let their guard down and that the risk doesn't exist there as well. You know, we're in a period right now of political transition, and we know that these are typically periods around the world when the risk of terrorism is increased. And it's something we all need to be aware of and vigilant and ready for. Now, how can CDC encourage states and and localities to to make improvements when there is such complacency going on? Well, you know, I don't want to overplay the complacency at the state and local level. What I hear from state and local level most frequently is that they're being asked to do more and more with fewer resources. And that is of great concern. Preparedness costs money and is something that you don't see except when it's truly needed. And it's important that we ensure that these systems that we've put so much energy into building are sustained and maintained. One of the ways to do that is with exercises and drills. This is a way to test at least some of the systems to see how they're going to work. At CDC, we have an extensive exercise program. And what we find around the country is that states and locals are exercising on a very large scale. 
the increase in exercising over the course of the cooperative agreement has been absolutely phenomenal. What we have found since the beginning of the awarding of these cooperative agreements funds back in 1999 is that there's been an increase in the number of exercises in states from 108 up to almost 3,000. These exercises vary from focused drills to larger scale exercises, but the fact that people are exercising and that they're then taking the time from the exercise to develop what we call a corrective action plan is extremely impressive. By doing this, we're ensuring that we're identifying our gaps and that our systems are improving. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Richard Besser. We've been discussing public health emergency preparedness in the United States. I'm Dr. Jennifer Hsu. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Disaster Medicine, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157, and thank you for listening.